BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 502. The Starting 502 Podcast. Powered by the State of Louisville. All right, and we are back for another edition of the Starting 502 Podcast. As always, my name is Presley Meyer, your host with the most. But we always want to give a shout out to our sponsors. This podcast brought to you by Tums. Tums, you can get them 5% off this week at Walgreens. Stop on down the Walgreens on South 2nd Street Road. Tums, the ones that get you done. When the cards win, you win. 10% off Tums at Walgreens on South 2nd Street Road. I also want to bring in my co-host, Nick Connor. Nick, live from sunny Cincinnati. Nick, are you guys are all is all the bread and milk sold out in Cincinnati because there's snow coming your way? Oh my goodness. Don't even get me started. As an educator, when people in the tri-state start talking about accumulation four days out, and now they're calling for a dusting. I mean, it's just irresponsible. You know, it's unbelievable. But hey, the Louisville Cardinals won 75-72 over Pitt. And we are still undefeated when we are both on the post-game podcast. I mean, Coach Mack, he tried to screw it up. Let's be completely honest. Said a few choice words down the stretch to an official. We'll get into the tech calls, but we're still undefeated. We're 4-0 in ACC play. We keep falling in Ken Palm. I don't know what to say, Press. I mean, when, when, when Louisville gets to the end of these games, it almost like it feels like that's the narrative now. If Louisville's in a close game, it seems like. They've won every game that's been decided by six points or less, right? So, like, that's already been established. I think they're 6-0 and in games that have been decided by six points or less, 5-0, and something like that. I was about to check Allen's tweet, so actually. They're, they're either, they either get kind of not blown out, but they lose by a few possessions, or they're going to win by a few possessions. Uh, Louisville made eight of its last nine baskets tonight. Pitt made one of its last nine. Uh, Louisville, again, went with the three-guard lineups down the stretch to great success um obviously the bench played tremendously tonight uh we can get into l ellis uh, having 18 points off the bench i believe all coming in the second half am i wrong about that yeah all coming in the second half that's correct yeah 
Um, obviously, the highlight of the game was was the possession with about two two minutes and thirty seconds left in the game, where Ellis almost like a tried to take a shot and almost threw it into uh, the section behind the basket. Uh, the ultimate heat check, the craziest heat check I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, he had Samuel Williamson was like, like me and you, you're in Cincinnati and I'm in Southern Indiana right now. And me and you are closer than, than, than uh, the nearest defender was to Samuel Williamson on the court. And he just decided to just like shoot it like a, a fourth grader uh, shooting on a nine foot basketball goal at Southeast Christian church on a Saturday morning at about nine 45 AM. So um, no. So Listen, I mean, it seems like like the only thing I can think of on my drive home while I'm sitting in traffic is this was like very much like Groundhog Day. Like I feel like Bill Murray, like sitting in the hotel or wherever he's sitting with the with the old people and uh, watching Jeopardy and knowing every answer to every question. Like I felt like I just knew what was going to happen. And, and, you know, it's that's a comforting feeling, though, when you're the team that you just feel like, you know, that your team's going to pull it out. And that's kind of the advantage of Louisville having all these experienced guards. You know, LLS is a, a JUCO guy, but he has leadership experience uh, for a really solid JUCO team. Obviously, Noah Locke's been around the block many times. Malik Williams, obviously, is like a seventh-year senior. Uh, somebody made a joke about – I said something on, on Twitter tonight about about the old men in front of me that were screaming at the court at like a, at like a 19-year-old Sidney Curry – and and some somebody took it as like you know well Malik Williams is twenty five years old we he actually might be so uh, you know experience in that area and then obviously uh, um, Jared West uh, pretty much put up all zeros in the first half second half uh, five rebounds four assists um, made a clutch field goal clutch free throws down the stretch um, and that, that that's that's why you bring in these veteran guards that's why you have a cast of veteran players um, and you're seeing even though the team is still working on assimilating itself, um, still working on getting the pieces together, um, you're seeing this team kind of gain some confidence down the stretch. Uh, and we'll get into this a little bit against a, a Pittsburgh team that right now it looks awful. Right now it's a quad four win. Like right now it's like the worst possible win you can possibly have. Like if, you, if you're talking about conference games, this would have been the worst possible loss you could have. Um, but it's not, I don't think it'll be a quad four win by the end of the, by the end of the season. And we'll talk about that a little bit more, but Nick, uh, I want to hear a little bit more on your perspective, uh, on, on the technical foul calls. So as somebody that was in the arena, there was not a lot of, you know, they weren't, they don't really show replays of the bench, uh, and they don't really show replays of like what was happening where I, you said somebody might've shouldered somebody else or something like that. I didn't see any of this going on. It's like, every time there's another technical, it was like, what? Like the whole arena is just like looking around, like what is going on? Uh, and it started with literally like within a minute of the game starting. So just break it down for me. I think there were seven technical foul call fouls called what happened there. Well, I'll start by saying this. We always use the stat broadcast, you know, that the universities provide in their, you know, the, that is run during the game that, that all the media guys get to see. We use that for the post game and every single game that we talk, I go through like every little fine print. And there's always a technical foul section that always has nothing in it. It's just a white line. There's nothing there. Well, tonight it is absolutely full of names and numbers in parentheses. So it all started less than a minute in. Um, I, I guess there was some pregame jawing between Malik Williams and John Hughley. Um, those two were the, the both teams' best scorers, both teams' best players coming into this game. And obviously, I don't know if there had been some like social media, you know, something going on pregame like they they were fired up. Well, Hughley did a little shoulder check to Malik Williams did. Honestly, the replay, it didn't. I mean, it, it wasn't anything. I, if it was a Louisville player, if it was a Kentucky player, I don't it wasn't anything. And Malik kind of smiled at him. Double tech for both of them there. Then there was just some questioning going on. Who got called for a tech? What's going on? Jeff Capel said some choice words. He got teed up the pit head coach. Then as he starts to walk away, he's laughing with another official after he's gotten teed up. He's like made up with the official. Then his brother gets a tech from the other official. So his, his brother's an assistant on the end of the bench. He gets a tech from the other official. They call that one on the bench. He's just sitting over there with his hands up like, I don't even know what I've said at this point. Meanwhile, Louisville makes none of the free throws associated with any of these technicals until the second stretch of techs. And then we get to the second half. And again, 
Malik gets in foul trouble. He's been in foul trouble the whole game because he got this tech. And, you know, obviously that's a tech and a personal. And then he jaws at Hughley again from the bench after fouling out and gets a sixth foul, I guess. I mean, I guess we're playing in the NBA now. Gets a sixth foul. So now he has to leave the arena, which, I mean, sure, whatever. And then Chris Mack uses some specific choice words that if you, you know, ran your TV back, you could have found specific words. They had a very nice shot of him saying it. Uh, but called the official a couple of choice words multiple times to which the official did not appreciate that. And that tech prez almost cost Louisville the game. I mean, that, that one really shortened <laughs> all of a sudden the, the seven point lead got shortened and there were some free throws missed down the stretch there again, free throw shooting poor tonight, but it, they asked Chris Mack in the presser. One of the media members asked Chris Mack if he'd ever been a part of a game that was anything like that. And he said, <laughs> Very nonchalantly, the only thing he's ever seen like that is Xavier UC, but there were a few more shoulders and elbows and punches thrown in that game. I mean, if you remember that one, that one was an absolute brawl. Um, Yeah, so the first time I can remember actually looking at a box score, um, and and there's a big old six on the personal foul line, um, the last time I can remember anything similar to that was, oh gosh, I'm going to say 2009 uh, in Herringote, uh, Luke Herringote for Notre Dame was called for his fifth foul, and then he argued with the official, and he got teed up. So not only did he have to leave the game, um, and the reason I remember that is because at the time, my little brother was like seven years old, and Herringote had zero fouls of the half, and they made a big deal about that because he was notably fouled a lot. My little brother goes, don't worry, he'll foul out. <laughs> and, he, and Luke Herringote fouled out. Good old 2009. Anyways, no, I mean, to your point, never seen anything like this uh individual foul trouble really was something that Louisville had to battle through obviously Williams finished with the six fouls Jared West had four fouls uh, Williams didn't play much of the the final two segments of the game uh was out of the game for the last two and a half minutes or so uh, Matt Cross had four fouls he was in and out of the game a lot Sidney Curry picked up two early ones in the first half so there was a lot going on as far as uh just having foul issues overall and once again, Louisville just finds a way to win. Um, and, and I've seen a lot of people talking about this, but um, is this the narrative now this season that Louisville isn't bad enough to get blown out by anyone, really? Like even against Michigan State, where it felt in, in Western Kentucky, where it felt like they just didn't play very well at all. Um, those weren't necessarily blowouts. Those were games where the other team had a significant run where they went on like a 15, 20, nothing run and Louisville couldn't hit the broadside of a barn for six or seven minutes. And then when they were able to fight fight back, it was just, you know, too, too little too late. Um, you know, it's not like Louisville's playing like booty by any, by any means, but um, by, the, by, the same, by the same token, it just, it, it feels like, I don't know, man. It just, it, it feels like they're not going to be a team that's just going to blow anybody out. I don't know if it's, you know, there's been a lot of comments about Louisville, um, doesn't play as much above the rim as as the former Batino teams, um, but I, I I don't I like this team. Like I think that I still see a scenario where they can finish in the top four in the ACC. Absolutely, I still see a scenario where they can be a decent seed in the NCAA tournament. I still see a scenario where they're a second weekend team. Like I see all of that. Um, but is is this what this team is going to be, or is there more out there for them? Are there you know, are there more improvements that you can see being made over the course of the next few months? I think the thing for me that is still so troubling is some of these problems seem really fixable. And I, I'm going to keep saying it, but the rotation has to get smaller. I mean, again, tonight you play 11 guys against a team that had been in a lot of tight games to which the TV crew, I know you missed this, but TV crew kept throwing up the graphic of how many close games they've been in. And they're, you know, they're not that far away, but you play 11 guys again. Malik Williams is in foul trouble. You let Sam Williamson stay on the bench with two fouls for an extended period of time in the first half with it, which I know I'm going to make my second Kentucky reference in five minutes. But if you watch that Kentucky LSU game last night, Kentucky let that game slip away or didn't, didn't get on LSU early because Oscar Shibway got in foul trouble, and Cal left him on the bench for the rest of the first half. Very similar concept here with the big guys. It's just, I mean, when Sam is in the middle of the zone, when a team's going to repeatedly play 2-3 zone on you, and we've seen this for three years, 
Sam can eat alive a 2-3 zone. He is elite 12 feet and in. Everything else, not so much offensively. Can get you any board you need, and he's elite 12 feet and in. If you get him in an isolation situation, get him in a situation where he can work high-low from the free throw line, he's going to get it done. And he did again tonight. But we didn't let him play with two fouls. And it wasn't, it wasn't like they were playing an elite 2-3 zone. Either. I mean, I know, I know they, they had big guards, right? And that's going to be the big knock on us again for the 18th year in a row. We have small guards, right? That's what's going to be the problem again, is teams are going to look to play a zone against us because we don't shoot well and because we have small guards. And I understand that. And, like, Syracuse is probably going to eat us alive, and that'll probably be our worst loss of the year, quite frankly, because of the, their scheme. But, again... All of these things are fixable. And it goes back to knowing your role. And I know we talked about this a few episodes ago, but Noah Locke is a spot-up shooter. So get Noah spot-up shots. He is not an isolation guy. He is not a guy who gets off the bounce. And I know he got you a bucket again tonight. He keeps doing that. He gets one bucket to make me look bad about saying he's not, you know, an on, you know, on the ball guy. But, you know, Jared West is not a guy that's going to blow by people off the dribble. You know, Matt Cross is mostly a spot-up shooter. If he gets the right mismatch on the baseline, let him attack. Sam Williamson, same thing. If he gets the right mismatch, let him attack. Dre Davis, again tonight, saw him come off the bench. If he gets the right mismatch, let him attack the baseline. It seems really straightforward, but yet we get some really weird combinations on the floor again tonight. At one point, you had L. Ellis in the game with Jalen Withers and Dre Davis and Noah Locke. I mean, what in, in what world do we end up with those four guys on the floor together? Um, Sid absolutely and, and ate Sydney tonight. Sidney Curry at the same time as well. And Sidney Curry, that was the fifth. And, and Sid, Sid played really well tonight. And I think Sid, Sid needs one of those, like, this guy's going to go get 30 if you don't go in there and, and, you know, bump him, you know, and really get him out of the paint. But, again, it, it seems to me like we don't intentionally – try to get it into anything offensively if Malik's not on the floor. And that doesn't make any sense to me. And we saw this last year, and I keep going back to this because it was such a flashpoint for me. When Louisville played Duke last year with Malik Williams healthy for the first time, and he played 12 minutes until he got hurt, they ran multiple set stuff they had not run since Jordan Wara was on this team. And it worked. And they worked high to low, and they had all kinds of high ball screens, some big, you know, some big, big for big switches, things like that. And then the minute Malik leaves the floor, they stop running it. And we haven't even seen some of those things tonight or not this season. We did see a couple late sets. Again, I I don't know if this is a Ross McMaines thing. I don't know if this is a Mike Pegues thing. I don't I don't know who it is. But late in the game, we finally get the ball in Jared West and Mason Faulkner's hands going downhill, attacking the rim, creating offense. Why are we not doing that for 40 minutes? And that's the thing, is like I can be patient, Presley, for eight games for nine games when we have eight new guys, but at a certain point, tighten the rotation, stick with the guys who play defense. This team statistically has gotten progressively worse on the defensive end. Like it's, we went from a top 20 defense to now we're pushing the forties in defense efficiency. I mean, according to Ken Palm, I mean, this team is getting worse on the defensive end and not improving on the offensive end. They are winning games. And yes, that is what matters, but this is going to catch up in a hurry if these problems don't get solved. Yeah, and I mean, this team's meat and potatoes is, is going to be that they are kind of mucking things up and, and getting to the foul line. But the other problem that I see is that 66% from the foul line is not going to get it done when you go to the foul line 30 times. Like, you can't go 20 for 30 from the foul line. You can't be missing the front ends of one-and-ones. You can't get an and-one and then go to the free throw line, uh, Williamson, and, and miss free throws. Like, you can't get a technical foul like uh, Noah Locke and go to the free throw line and miss two free throws in a row. Like, Sam is shooting 50. Sam is shooting 48% from the free throw line this year. And that's not a small sample size either. Like the dude gets to the line. It's ridiculous. And I just don't like, I don't know if it's a mental thing. And, and the other thing, like, like I was talking about, like they shaded off Samuel Williamson tonight. So when Williamson was in the game and maybe that's why he's not getting, getting as many minutes, he is open outside of three point line. And we're not even getting, getting him the ball because it's like if you shade off of him, then you take away the drive. And he's if he shoots it and he makes it, then he shoots and he makes it. It's like, uh, it's like uh, Ben Simmons, you know, like that. That's that's essentially the way. Does it does it not feel like to you, Prez? Sorry to cut you off, but does it not feel like to you that we get scouted better than we scout ourselves? Like at yeah, a certain yeah. point. Yeah. I mean, yeah. 
if you're Chris Mack, you watch six games from your couch. I mean, I would have done nothing but self scout. Mm-hmm. Like I would have self scouted. and I would have scouted everybody that le- left on the schedule that I could watch. You know, I did, as he said, I, he dropped his kids off of school and picked them up from school. Like he should have been just scout. I mean, the amount of money he gets paid. And again, that is at a certain point, you can talk about that because that is a big deal. Sure. The man yeah. gets paid a lot of money. Like, are we, we have so many assistants, right? We have all these GAs and all these guys who are in charge of player personnel and all these things. And like you said, that's exactly the way I'm playing Sam Williamson. He can have the ball 18 feet. Now I'm not touching it. I'm backing up. Take it. We saw it again tonight. He, he did one of those double clutch. Oh, I'm not the shooter. I've been told I'm not supposed to shoot from out here, but it's open green light short. I mean, any person on the team, freaking Roosevelt Wheeler gets the ball and he's wide open from three. He's going to shoot the ball. Like that's Louisville's philosophy. So it doesn't make sense that only Samuel Williamson wouldn't. And it's not like he can't take and make threes. Like, yes, he's he's definitely not the, the best three-point shooter, but Samuel Williamson is not any worse than than Dre Davis at, at shooting the, the three ball. Uh, and yet Davis, you know, he's not a volume three-point shooter, but, I mean, 0 for 1 tonight. Williamson was over 1 tonight from from 3. Like, I don't know, man. It just... I think if, if he would take take some more three-point shots, then it could open up a lot more avenues for him if he starts just taking and making them even at like a 30% rate, like which I think he's capable of. I, I just I don't I don't get it. I guess he just wants to play within his game, which is great. And I think that's beneficial to the team. But um at, at some point, you know, like you said, you got to be able to, to scout yourself better. It's not that they don't have the plays in their arsenal. And that's kind of the weird, awkward, frustrating part about this, right? So the to start the game, Louisville started off decently and just not hitting their open looks, um, and that was a little bit different th- than the last the last matchup. But um, then you get into this kind of like muck it up scenario where it just becomes like a rebounding battle. It becomes a just a f- messy foul, just foul after foul going to the free throw line, maybe missing them, maybe making them like, and then all of a sudden Louisville turns it on and I was, you know, keeping track. You know, I said, well, it really feels like Louisville seems to not be able to string good, solid offensive possessions together. And all of a sudden to end from like six minutes until about two minutes left in the first half, uh, they string together six possessions where they score and it should have been a seventh possession. They would have had eight possessions in a row where they scored if Dre Davis didn't miss a, inexplic- inexplicably miss a wide open layup. And what did um, they do? They, they set screens and then they created, they created quick action to get a mismatch and then they attacked yep. the mismatch. It wasn't complicated. It was very, very simple stuff. And it was not even one of Louisville's better lineups that was doing that. No, you know, it was just, not. they were just getting guys going downhill. They were creating ball movement. They were creating mismatches and getting open shots and getting to the free throw line. And that's, I don't understand why they can't do that the entire game because then they do that. They get momentum going towards halftime kind of, you know, fumble their way into, into halftime. And then the second half, the first 10, 15 minutes of the second half are the same story where pitch just, just getting Louisville, just muck it up. No, no rotation is working. Uh, things are just getting out of hand. Pitt is starting to almost like try to run away with the game. Um, Pitt got up to a five point lead, uh, with eight and a half minutes left, left in the second half. It got a little scary. Malik Williams had four fouls. Uh, things are starting to look ugly. And then all of a sudden, um, Joker and the thief plays things start getting pretty serious. The crowd starts getting into it. LL starts taking over the game. Louisville starts putting their best players in situations where they can get the ball downhill, get ball movement going. Uh, thrown in, you know, the old, we, it's not a, a starting 502 podcast. We don't mention the horn sets and just doing, just getting back to the basics, doing what, you know, executing and doing their bread and, you know, what their bread and butter is and executing it to perfection. Eight, eight for the last nine field goals and probably should have been nine for nine. Like it just does, it doesn't make sense to me why they have to wait until just certain stretches of the game to do it. Like you said, I mean, I'm just, I'm almost just repeating what you said, just in a different way. Like it it doesn't make sense why Louisville, especially against a team like Pitt, who's probably going to finish under 500 on the season, why they, you know, why they can't make it happen earlier in the game. Okay. Round two, name something that's not boring 
a laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I think it, it just it really seems like to me like Chris Matt gets severely outcoached for 35 minutes. And then whether it's like finally McMain's in his ear, like, hey, let's run a couple. Let's run this. We haven't run this yet. Or, you know, him just being I don't know what it is. And, and even in the post games and even in the pre, you know, pre-shows, everything. I just, it's not the same Chris Mack this year. And I know there's been a little bit of, you know, talk about, you know, maybe it's the suspension, maybe it's something in his, you know, personal life, you know, things like that. And, and that's all speculation. I don't, I mean, I don't know anything. I don't know anybody who knows anything, but there's something going on. And I don't know if he lost a little bit of his confidence, which is, I mean, fair. You got suspended, you know, by the administrators of your university who pay you millions of dollars to coach. I mean, it is a very tough job. This university is going through a lot financially, academically, obviously athletically, all of those things. But I just don't see him coaching as hard as as we did as we have in the first three years. And I know that that is easy to say when you know when the product looks like this. But like I I struggle I struggle when I see three or four or five possessions in a row with him with his hands on his head you know, turning around, looking at the bench, um, like call timeout, you know, like you got five of them. You got one of them. You got to use before halftime, like call timeout. Um, I've never, I've never been one who is a, you know, let them figure it out kind of guy when it comes to not having an elite basketball team. Like it's one thing, like Duke is an elite basketball team this year. Gonzaga is an elite basketball team this year. You know, Baylor is still number one. And and those coaches have have the luxury of letting those guys kind of figure it out. Like they can go through a stretch, let them get kind of boomed, and they can recover. I don't think this team can right now, and I I don't see a world where they don't go into Florida State on, on Saturday and get run. Quite frankly, and that really concerns me. Chris Mack pointed out again in the presser that at Louisville he's never beat Florida State. Specifically, they've gotten run multiple times in that building um, in Tallahassee. But I mean, let's. Long, athletic, pressure defense, tempo. That's exactly the, the blueprint that beats this team this year. Um, and, and so that's what concerns me looking ahead. And and again, we've talked about it, but this resume isn't, leaving a, isn't giving us a lot of opportunities here. You're just going to have to win a lot of games for this resume to get better. Um, you know, the, the net number continues to get worse. Um, all the other efficiency numbers, Ken Palm numbers, um, Torvik, all those numbers are getting worse for Louisville. Strength of record's not going to get good this year um, with the way the ACC is trending. And so, like, at a certain point, this might get to a point where, I mean, you might say eye test, right? Like, that's a football term, it seems like. But, like, if this is a Louisville team that has eight, nine, ten losses, they might not, they still might not get in the NCAA tournament. And that's what concerns me is when you beat a team like Pitt by three points at home come with a, with a player on the floor wearing a mask, which was a whole nother issue because he wasn't, he started wearing it at the beginning of the game. He was wearing it. I'd like to put yeah, that he out. He was very, he was very dedicated until he started getting sweaty. It's kind of like he me started Atlanta cooking. Days. He started yeah. cooking and then he was like, I'm done. And the I will say a shout out to the, to the color announcer on the, on the broadcast. I didn't get his name, but he was going after the kid for like, put it in your pocket. Like we don't need to wear it around our chin strap. Like we play in high school and in other States, but all that to say, I'm concerned, Presley, and, and I think I was willing to give it a few games and willing to give Mac a few games, but I'm really starting to wonder, does this staff know this roster? Is this staff willing to compromise on what they wanted to be coming into the season? Is this staff willing to adjust? And at what point do you say, we got eight guys, or we got nine guys, or we got seven guys who need minutes, and that's it, and like, at a certain point, I don't see practice. I'd love to be in practice. Don't get me wrong. I don't see it, but what I've seen on the floor when the lights are on is that there's not 11, 12 guys who should be getting minutes. And 
and until I see something different, I mean, I need to see guys like Mason Faulkner getting 25 minutes a game. I need to see guys like Dre Davis getting 25 minutes a game. You know, I need to see guys like Sid Curry getting 10 to 15 minutes a game. Like I need to see guys who who are in there out there are showing that passion, you know, that whole tough together unbreakable thing. Like let's play the guys that actually do that. Yeah. And that's, I, I, I just don't know if maybe we could look at this as Louisville's just not taking teams seriously this year, but I don't know why, because we talk about they have the seniority and they have the ability to finish games. I don't get why there's not enough focus to just lock in and put away a game with 10 minutes left. Well, your your sixth year captain, you know, only three year captain in Louisville program history gets a tech from the bench after fouling out. That's a that's a culture problem. Yeah, that's a problem. It is. It is. And and no disrespect to Malik Williams at all. Like he seems like a, you know, really stand up awesome dude. But like that's stuff that can't happen. Uh, you know, just because Pitt's getting texts on the other side doesn't mean that you have to bring that same energy on your end. I mean, it's a home game for you. Like you don't have to, there's nothing you need to be standing up for. You're winning the game by eight points. You're winning the game by seven points. Like there's absolutely zero need for that. It is the thing that I feel like makes Louisville fans the most uncomfortable that we don't talk about a lot is just the fact that like this game, if it was the Rick Pitino era, like, the David Levages would have been coming into the game with under four left. And like when the crowd's walking out, when Joker and the thief is playing and, and since they're not selling alcohol, I guess people are going to the bars or whatever. I don't really know. I don't know what that's all about, but people used to leave early because Louisville was blowing teams out and they haven't really had that in the Chris Mack era. And even their most talented teams, there wasn't a lot of just like, like in the non-conference this year, there were no, there were none of those games. Like a Furman game is, you know, I mean, that's probably a game that they would have played close in any year. Furman's a pretty decent team, but that's not a, a game where, you know, you're going to overtime. And DePaul, like, I mean, freaking, that's why we have DePaul day. Like they hadn't lost to DePaul and they used to play them on a yearly basis since like 2003. Like there's just, I think what gives fans so much anxiety and what just makes you feel like there's just there's a lot more negativity coming is because you get into a situation against the Pittsburgh team that's in last place in the conference, the Pittsburgh team that's like lost what four straight, five straight, something like that. Like, granted, they were all close games just like this one, but at some point, like you have to you have to look at yourself as a team and be like, look, we're better than this. And I I think when you look at, at Louisville's talent versus Pittsburgh's talent, or you look at Louisville's talent versus Wake Forest or whoever else, uh, you know, there's, I, I feel like Louisville is, is head and shoulders better than those teams. So it doesn't make sense to me why they have to just play neck and neck. It's almost like they just, it's not, it's like, there's like a lack of, of like that killer instinct. Like there's like, like a lack of just ability to just like put a team away. And maybe they'll be able to turn that on at some point. Like maybe they'll finally have the ability to just bury a team. But like, I remember the narrative being like back in the, the season where, you know, Louisville was number one and beat Michigan and uh, had a, a bunch of awesome wins. Ryan McMahon went off on NC state that year. Like there were a bunch of just crazy fun games that season, but even in that season, it felt like the narrative was, it didn't feel like the narrative. The narrative was that Louisville could not get up by 10 and push the lead open by more. Like there was always that, like once they got to that 10 point lead, they just kind of backed off. They called off the dogs and Louisville fans aren't used to that. That wasn't something that Louisville fans became accustomed to in the Denny crumb era. That's definitely not something that Rick Bettina is about. Like, I think that as a, a long time Louisville fan, like we've become accustomed to, when you get up by eight or 10 points, like that's when you go for the kill shot. Like that's when all of a sudden 10 becomes 15 and 15 becomes 22. And we all leave and go out and have a great time. That's no longer the case. Like it, the, the narrative, the brand of Louisville basketball right now is that regardless of what team they play and how talented they are, it's probably going to be a close game at the end. Like, yeah, that might be exciting for for us, but like when you look at the at the net rankings, like 
if Louisville would have won by 25 tonight, we don't know the exact net equation. We don't know what exactly is factored in, but we do know that the way that you beat a team is just as important as who you beat. And so when you beat Pittsburgh by three points, then that's factored into the net rankings. Like you can look at the way that the net rankings move and see that, that the net, the net, however, the, the formula is, it factors that in. So going forward, that is extremely concerning and going forward into next week or in, in the Saturday, uh, Louisville has an extremely important game and this might be a down Florida state team, but it is at Florida state. It's a Florida state team that Chris Mack hasn't beaten since the first time he faced them in the NCAA tournament. I think it was in 2014 could be wrong, but, um, if you don't know, if you're a little fan, you weren't paying attention. Chris Mack's Xavier team came into a tournament and upset a Florida state team in the sweet 16 to advance to the elite eight, uh, either the next year or the year after, um, Florida state basically did the opposite of them and absolutely shellacked a one seed Xavier team by like 30. Um, so, and since then Leonard Hamilton has had Chris Mack's number, um, Leonard Hamilton is still a great coach and Florida state's still chock full of great players. Uh, Malik Osborne is still on this team. Raquan Evans, the guy who's like a baby, um, like a baby Zion Williamson is, is the way I, you know, think his game, that's the way his frame and his build is. He can shoot the three ball. Uh, he's going to present a major challenge for whoever's defending him. Probably Matt cross. Like that's, that's an issue. Uh, Caleb Mills is obviously a stud for them. Anthony polite. Like they have big name players on this team and that doesn't even include these big recruits that have come in over the last couple of years, Jalen War Worley, um, Matthew Cleveland, who was a guy that Louisville was really in on in late in his recruiting, Cameron Fletcher. So, like, there are a lot of big names on this team um, that can absolutely do a lot of damage. With that being said, this, this Florida State team isn't meshing right now, and Louisville has to take advantage of this as a resume win because it could ultimately go down and probably will go down as, as a high quad two or, you know, mid-tier to low quad one win um, if, if they're able to go in the Florida State and win on the road. Um, so that would be massive. I think even right now, I think Florida State's 76th in the net. So they're right on that cusp of if you win um, on the road in the ACC against Florida State, that's more, than, more likely than not, um, just based on their track record, probably going to be a quad one win. And that might be one of only three more opportunities that Louisville has for the rest of the season. Like, I don't think Virginia at any point is going to be a quad one win, maybe at Virginia. I'm not sure, but Duke obviously will be a quad one win regardless if they win. And North Carolina is going to be right on the cusp of being a quad one win um, since, it's, since it's a home game. So with all that in mind, Florida State, really talented team. What do you think that Louisville needs to do on Saturday to kind of avoid this almost anxiety that's around this program right now. They're like, yes, Louisville is winning, but they are winning very close in games that they should be blowing teams out. I think you have to start Mason Faulkner. I think you have to play a ton of three guard lineups and you're going to be oversized. I mean, six, four, six, five, six, 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 nine, seven, one is what they or six, four is what they start with the seven, one guy coming off the bench. Again, I mean, they, they got three seven-foot guys on their roster this year. They, I, they don't know. I don't know where they get them. A factory. But um, you know, all, they are always the biggest team in the country. Always. Well, and they they're, almost, like the last they're almost all international season. guys, too. So, yes. obviously, he's yeah. got some, some, some recruit, recruiting things there. I mean, it, it, I, I think you can't play a guy like Jalen Withers in this game right now. Like, I think that's where the line has to be drawn is – Part of me is saying this is the game Jalen Withers gets it back, right? Like I thought a game like tonight would have been perfect for Jalen. Like look over here at this guy who's less touted than you coming out of high school. This guy's had a really good year, you know, starting for Pitt. Like go go after him, right? Like go fight for the name on your chest. And I mean, he played five minutes tonight. Like I, I, I don't know. This Florida State team always concerns me. It's one of those that I kind of pencil in as an L. Like I, that's terrible, but I do. They're one of they're just a bad matchup for Louisville. Uh, Virginia is the same way. I'm still not sold on Virginia this year. Virginia is a very bad basketball team right now, and they're they've started to show a little bit of signs of improvement. I'm I'm still not confident going to play Virginia. 
or if they and when they play in the yum to end the year, I'm not confident for that one either. But Florida State's style, I think, is just what concerns me because whatever they're going to do offensively, whatever they're going to do defensively, they play extremely hard. They play a lot of guys. I mean, they're the. I think they're, they're the only team Louisville's going to play this year that plays as many guys as as Louisville does. I mean, they they went looks quick look looks eleven or twelve deep against Wake the other night, and I know they got run by Wake. And again, I think Wake's a good team, and I think we're learning that. Like, they started with some a real bad schedule, and you know they got caught with two road losses, including in the Yum last week. But I think they're legit. I think they have some dudes. Um, as we like Alondis Williams, like we talked about last, I mean, is a dude, right? And I, but I, I still think Florida State will be ready to go. I mean, Leonard Hamilton always has his teams ready to go. I think the big thing here is I want to see if Chris Mack will stick with a rotation. I want to see if the defense is better. I'm not asking for elite defense, but if the defense is not good in this game, I think they get run just really plain and simple. What's the, what is the, one issue, if you could pinpoint something, what has changed on the defensive end in your mind? Inability to keep the offensive guy in the right spot. So you saw tonight a lot. There was an emphasis, and you didn't hear it on the broadcast, but the play-by-play guy talked a lot about how in walkthrough this morning, um, Chris was preaching that you had to front um, their big guy. And like if you didn't, he was going to score on every possession. Um, and so if you saw early in the game when there was that bumping and that talking going on, Malik was very, very, you know, intentionally trying to front him and keep him out of that spot. And then you watched on the other side, Malik was trying to do the same thing to him, right? Just do the inverse. And we saw Sid do that a little bit well, get in there and bump their guys. But too often, again tonight, they, uh, there was there's a play that comes to mind where Sam just got beat off the dribble and just, you know, sidestepped the guy and, and body checked him, right? Like just like a stupid foul. There's just a lot of one-on-one breakdowns. And again, the idea of a pack line is we're on the ball. But when when the lead guy, the guy on the ball gets, you know, broken down, the pack, you can, you know, you can throw the pack line out. Like it's not going to work that way. Um, you know, the reason that Virginia has successfully run the pack line and other programs have successfully run the pack line for so long is because they are elite from three-point line to three-point line. So Unless you can shoot shots over top of them, you know, like UMBC style, where it's like we're just going to chuck them and we hit, you know, 20, 25 tonight. They are elite in the paint, and it's because they're so connected. And because even if you manage to get a cut or a screen off of one guy, everybody's still right there in the paint together, right? But when you see when Louisville rotates as many players, to be completely honest with you, I don't think you can have that defensive consistency. And that's that's what's concerning, right? L. Ellis, you know, has the offensive game tonight. He hasn't been on the floor because he he's not he's a liability defensively right now, and he's playing out of control. And and Max said that in the presser. You know, I talked to him today. He said I talked to him today, and I challenged him. You know, to slow down and just stop playing so fast, and just like trust this. You know, trust our stuff. And obviously, you saw that tonight. He he cooked some guys, quite frankly, one on one. But Noah Locke, same thing. Noah Locke is a defensive liability one on one right now, and when you have guards who are who can get broken down as max says on straight line drives you can throw you know you can throw that out the window it doesn't work anymore yeah and so it makes me wonder if there's another solution right like i don't think that matt cross is a guy that's going to get broken down on straight line drives but the problem is if you throw matt cross on a bigger guard then who the heck is going to guard raekwon evans or whatever his name is is that his name raekwon evans um those type of players are the players that you're facing as threes and fours in the ACC. And that's why Louisville fans were so bullish on, on Jalen Withers and JJ trainer coming into the season, because you have a two, six, 10, six, 11 dudes who can put supposedly put the ball on the floor, who can defend uh, multiple positions, who can get to the free throw line, who can shoot the three ball. Like that's, that's the promise that those type of players bring. And so now that you don't have that, when you play a team like Pittsburgh, who has two really solid big men, when you play a team like Wake Forest, who has probably three really, really solid big men, and then when you go in and play a team like Florida State, who at every position is going to be bigger than you, like that's where you know, you're going to run into some issues. Um, the one thing that I'll say that's kind of behooved, behooved Louisville, and we've kind of danced around it a little bit, is, is just that they have been able to take advantage actually of, of playing smaller lineups. 
And when you have three smaller experienced guards in the game, it's really hard to match up with that, with that speed on, on, for the opposing team on the defensive end. The problem is when Louisville's trying to defend and they have 6'3", you know, 180-pound LLS, and you have Jared West, who, don't get me wrong, is the best defender in the ACC, uh, but when you have a five foot ten Jared West, and then you have Noah Locke, who is kind of you know he doesn't have as quick of a first step as those other two. When those are your three guys, kind of on the front front line of your defense, and you're playing against ACC's size and talent, like it doesn't matter how crappy these teams are this season, they still have a ton of talent and a ton of size. So it's really hard to front, like you said, like it's really hard to front and keep the ball um, from entering the paint. Uh, when you have some smaller guards. So they're going to have to learn, like you kind of suggested, to have a little bit quicker feet. Um, and it's kind of basic stuff that you would have learned in, you know, like third, fourth, fifth grade, like freaking move your feet, keep the ball in front of you. And if Louisville doesn't have that ability, then like you said, it, it could ultimately become a long season. I mean, I'm looking at this schedule, like Florida State is absolutely a beatable team. Like they, they like Louisville should win this game against Florida State. But they also should have blown out Pittsburgh. You know, we were after Georgia Tech, we're like, all right, well, they got Pittsburgh coming up. Uh, that should be a blowout. They were a 12-point favorite. They won by three. And they're like, well, you have Pittsburgh twice in, in 10 days. Now, all of a sudden, after this pit game, it seems a little bit scarier going to pit, right? Um, you know, and now all of a sudden after this game, it feels like Florida State's a little bit more of a challenge than you would have expected. Uh, and all of a sudden it feels like, you know, when you're coming back for a 9 p.m. kind of sleepy game against NC State and NC State team who's already played against and scouted you like that, all of a sudden those things start creeping in. You know, you got Boston College on the schedule. They're not very good. Notre Dame beat Kentucky, but they're not super good. Like Syracuse is, I believe, a below 500 team right now. Miami's leading the ACC, but they're not that great. It's so, like you have a lot of opportunities to win games and get, you know, get a lot of W's on your schedule, uh, get a lot of quantity, uh, more so than quality wins. But at the same time, there's a lot of opportunities for quantity quantities of losses too. And if they don't get some of this stuff straightened out, uh, particularly as you suggested on the defensive end, uh, then that's where the issues are going to lie. I think that what you, what you subject, what you have suggested uh, is perfectly reasonable. Louisville probably needs to become a team that wins on the defensive end. And then they can become that team that like, okay, you know, let's maybe muck it up on offense, you know, scrap the fact that we're going to be one of the fastest teams in the country. Like that's already proven to not be true. Uh, let's win on the defensive end. And we know that we can finish off games on offense. Like we know that our sets work at the end of the game. We know that, you know, we can run a lot of guys at you, uh, get you in foul trouble and just beat you and wear you down at the end of the game. Like, we know that we can do that. So let's step it up on the defensive end. Let's be a top 20, top 15 defense. And then I think that's where Louisville could find its identity. Right now, it still feels like, like you said, it's a team without an identity. It's a team where there's not really a rotation. It's a team where they just go through the just these just frustrating slumps. It's a team where, you know, there are just – five, six-minute stretches where it doesn't feel like they're running anything on offense. All of these things are frustrating and concerning, but as you suggested as well, to leave it on a positive note, all these things are very easily correctable. Um, it's just going to be a matter of can Chris Mack and the coaching staff uh, get this get this team's ear and kind of get it into their heads that, like, look, this is the way that we're going to win, but you have to listen to what we're telling you. Otherwise, it could be a long season. Nick, any final comments before we head out of here? Notre Dame just beat North Carolina 76-73. Thought you might be interested in that since you just said how bad Notre Dame is. Yeah, listen, bro. In I don't South even, Bend. This season, uh, this season's on crack. Mike Bray, I mean, Mike Bray doesn't lose very many games at home. Yeah, um, the, the good news is that Louisville plays two against Notre Dame this season. The bad news is that they play two against Notre Dame. So. And there it seems to be there seems to be some talk in the industry that, that this might be it for Mike Bray. So I don't he's know. He's trying if to get he's trying to get one final. One final hurrah. I mean, you, they've gotten Kentucky and Carolina at home. So, I mean, whatever his buy-in strategy is, it's working. I'll, I'll end with this, and we can wrap it here, Prez. I'm fully convinced the roster is fine. I'm not fully convinced the coaching staff and the roster put together is working. 
I'm, I'm convinced it's not working. And I think that's where the issue can, you know, can really get worse is this is Chris Mack on a very hot, hot seat right now, because this, this has real potential to get real bad and, and like wheels off the train, train off the tracks, train going off the bridge. But with that said, if Chris Mack, Ross Mains, Mike Pegues, Khalil, all the guys buy in to what is going to take to win, which right now, like you said, is defense. We can buy into a shorter rotation, eight, nine guys. I'm not even asking for seven, eight, nine guys who can defend the basketball, who can give me four minutes of hard defense at a time or three minutes of hard defense at a time till we get to TV timeout, whatever it is. We can embrace that identity. This team still has the ceiling of a second weekend tournament team. If they don't, though, if they don't, this is a, you know, decline the NIT invite for the second year in a row. I mean, yeah. It, it, yeah. it is what it is, and it's clean house, and it's figure out the financials later. And, and I've been very, very against that, and I, you know, I want to be as long as possible because that's not what's best for the health of the university or the financials or the academics right now. But this is not where this program needs to be. This program is under a lot right now. Still is, still waiting on NCAA decisions, still waiting on IARP and all that junk, right? But again, I think there is enough talent there right now. Players need to embrace their roles. Coaches need to figure out who needs to be on the floor together, who can't be on the floor together, and they need to embrace their identity. If they do that, they, they'll beat Florida State on Saturday. I'm not confident in that, but they can. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the ability is there, and I think that that's what gives me and you a lot of optimism, and I think a lot of people listening a lot of optimism. By the same token, it is equally frustrating because the talent is there, the team is there, it seems like the coaching staff and the wherewithal is there. What's missing? And so that'll be interesting to see. It's only January 5th. Um, we still got really two full, just really meaty months of, of the college basketball schedule. A lot's going to change between now and the first week of March. I can't wait to take that journey with you, Nick Connor. Uh, until next time, we'll see you on Saturday night for late one against Florida State. Starting 502 podcast. Let's get out of here. Go, cars.